Mishneh Torah, The Book of Second Chances, by Rabbi Yehuda Shaviv. Sefer Dvarim, like Sefer Bamidbar, can be divided into three parts. The division of Sefer Bamidbar is based on the observation in Masachat Shabbat that the parasha of Vayihi bin Soa is a sefer in its own right, marked by the inverted nunim, while the division of Sefer Dvarim into three parts arises from the contents of the sefer itself, a section of rebuke, a section of mitzvot, and a section of the covenant. The Vilna Gaon regarded the first five psukim of the Sefer as an introduction to these three sections. In this way, he also solved the problem of the repetitions contained in these psukim, a problem which is immediately obvious to anyone who studies this opening section. In the opinion of the Vilna Gaon, the first two psukim serve as the introduction to the first section of the Sefer. Verses 3 and 4 introduce the second section, and verse 5 introduces the third section. The three sections of Sefer Dvarim, according to the explanation of the Vilna Gaon, also correspond to the other books of the Torah. The opening words, Eleh HaDvarim, correspond to Sefer Shmot, which begins Ve'ele Shmot. The second section, which begins Vayikra, corresponds to Sefer Vayikra. And the third section begins with the word Vaydaber, corresponding to Sefer Bamibar. Hence, it is most appropriate that Chazal refer to Sefer Dvarim as Mishneh Torah, literally a second Torah, since in this Sefer, and especially in the section of the mitzvot, we review material which we have already learned in the previous books. In this Sefer, we see both repetition and innovation. The Gemara in Masachet Megillah addresses the difference between the warning in Sefer Vayikra and the warning in Sefer Dvarim, and notes as follows, The former are formulated in the plural, and Moshe conveyed therein a divine message, while the latter are in the singular, and Moshe composed them himself. In the Sefer Azahar, this distinction is widened to include the entire Sefer Dvarim. Moshe composed it himself. This assertion, despite its support in the first-person wording of the Sefer, nevertheless contradicts the very basis of our faith in the divine origin of the entire Torah. The Rambam in his Laws of Tshuva rules as follows. Three fall into the category of heretics who deny the Torah. Someone who says that the Torah is not from God if he says of even one pasuk or even one letter that Moshe composed it himself, then he is a heretic. The source for this ruling is to be found in a Brita in Masachat Sanhedrin. In fact, the Zohar itself poses a similar question. What does composed it himself mean? Can one imagine that Moshe said even one single letter of the Torah of his own initiative? This problem can be solved by means of an observation by the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel maintains that at first Moshe indeed said these words of his own initiative, but afterwards God commanded him to write, and he dictated the same words in exactly the same way as he had dictated the previous books. Hence, according to this opinion, there is nothing unique about the nature of the Sefer, since we have found similar instances in the other books as well. Various personalities who appear in the Torah, including Paro, Bilam, and others, uttered their own words, and eventually God dictated their words back to Moshe, and they have been included ever since as an integral part of God's Torah. Hence, what sets Sefer Dvarim apart is not a qualitative difference, but rather a quantitative one. Here, the great majority of the Sefer was recorded in this fashion. If we seek some unique feature of this Sefer, we shall discover that one of its characteristics, if not the crux of its whole message, is the concept of a second chance. In other words, even if one has failed and sinned, there is always an opening for repair and improvement, for change and renewal. Hence the mention of a new mitzvah in our Sefer, a mitzvah mentioned for the first time, Kwa mitzvah. For this mitzvah which I command you today, it is not too wondrous for you, nor beyond your reach. 
for the matter is very close to you, in your mouth, in your heart, to perform it. The Ramban, after first attempting to interpret the expression this mitzvah as referring to the entire Torah, explains, but this mitzvah refers to tshuva, the words, and you shall return it to your hearts, and, and you shall return to the Lord your God, define a mitzvah. We are being commanded to act in this way. And this is the reason why the Torah says, in your mouth, in your heart, to perform it, they should confess their sins and those of their fathers verbally, and return in their hearts to God, and accept the Torah upon themselves that day to fulfill it for all generations. Tshuva is not presented here simply as a mitzvah, but rather as a thoroughly attainable possibility, which holds a promise of hope. Obviously, as any other mitzvah, it has boundaries and regulations, and not everything that a person decides of his own initiative to do is automatically considered as tshuva. This idea becomes apparent from the very start of the Sefer, where the story of the spies is recorded. When the nation receives the news of the harsh decree that had been imposed upon them, that they would not merit to enter Eretz Canaan, some of them reacted in a way which could be interpreted as tshuva. And you answered and said to me, We have sinned, we shall ascend and we shall fight, just as the Lord our God has commanded. But this tshuva on their part was not accepted, and they were struck down by the Amorites living on the mountain. Despite the regret and their tears before God, nevertheless God did not hearken to your voice and did not listen to you. Let us turn our attention to some mitzvot that are first introduced in our sefer. The Ramban, in his introduction to the Sefer, addresses some of them. And in this Sefer, a few mitzvot are added which have not been mentioned previously at all, such as Yibum, the obligation of a man to marry his deceased brother's wife if he died childless, the law concerning defamation of character, divorcing a woman, conspiring witnesses, a special category of false witnesses who claim to have witnessed an event when neither of them was in the vicinity at all, and others. And they were all conveyed to Moshe at Sinai, or in the tent of meeting sometime during the first year, prior to the spies being sent, since on the plains of Moab, just prior to the entry into the land, Moshe received no new messages except for the formulation of the covenant. But these mitzvot were not recorded in the earlier books to be conveyed to the generation which had left Egypt, for perhaps these mitzvot were to be fulfilled only in Israel, despite the fact that they were an obligation to be physically fulfilled, as in the case of the libations, or otherwise they were mentioned only to the later generation, which was to enter the land, because they are mitzvot which do not frequently occur. If we perceive the idea of a second chance as a central message of the Sefer, it is easy to understand why the mitzvah of Yibum is mentioned here. The mitzvah comes to teach us that even if a person has died without leaving any descendants, all hope is not lost for his name and legacy to be continued. And for this important purpose, the Torah goes so far as to permit the usually forbidden union with one's brother's wife. The same can be said for the subject of divorce. A man and woman enter into the covenant of marriage, hoping to set up a home together, but unfortunately the covenant does not hold up, and it is apparent that there is no hope for this union. Is this couple obligated to remain together even though they cannot bear to live with each other? The Torah's solution is, and she shall go out, and she shall be the wife of another man. There is a formal procedure for divorce and dissolution of the marital bond, with the aim that hopefully these two people will be able to establish homes and futures with other partners. Something of the same idea exists in the case of conspiring witnesses as well. The Torah has already instructed that a matter is established by the word of two witnesses, or by the word of three witnesses. Thus, the testimony of the witnesses is the formal and reliable basis for judgment in cases where a deed was witnessed. But, teaches Sefer Dvarim, let us not get carried away with formal rigidity. Even this seemingly firm basis can sway and crack, and the Torah provides a legal framework for the rejection of their testimony and for their punishment. 
From here, we turn to the very institution of justice and the legal establishment. Although the Ramban does not mention it, the mitzvah of appointing judges for each city is also an innovation of Sefer Dvarim. Several fundamentals of the Torah's legal system are detailed in Parashat Shoftim and in Parashat Kitetzei, and right at the beginning of the Sefer, we find an extensive description of the appointment of the judges, in what seems to be out of the narrative context. In truth, the whole essence of the legal system is an attempt to deal with deficiencies in the order of life. When some problem arises, whether in the realm of interpersonal relationships, or a conflict between the individual and society, or even in the relationship between man and God, the legal system is there to restore order, either by its decision or by application of the appropriate punishment. This may be part of what Chazal meant when they taught, any judge who renders a genuinely true judgment, even only on one occasion, the Torah regards him as though he became God's partner in the creation. It is conceivable that in some sense he becomes a partner of God, for the king of the universe certainly watches and judges the whole world. But why does he become God's partner specifically in the creation? The answer may be that wicked individuals who cause perversion and injustice are in fact causing damage to the fabric of life in the world and are spoiling the work which the Creator did during the days of creation. Whoever restores judgment and order therefore becomes God's partner, retroactively as it were, in the creation. All details of social organization, administration, institutions, and regime are an innovation of this sefer. This category includes the mitzvah of appointing a king, and all the detailed halachot pertaining to this institution, as well as the institution of prophecy, the halachot of going out to war, etc. Almost everything which is codified in Rambam's Hilchot Melachim, as well as a sizable portion of the halachot pertaining to the Sanhedrin and laws of testimony, appear for the first time in Sefer Dvarim. Let us try to understand why these mitzvot appear specifically and only in Sefer Dvarim. Perhaps, since they are mitzvot which pertain to the nation as a whole, rather than to each individual, it was not appropriate for them to be mentioned in those books which deal with the sojourns of the nation in the desert, for at this stage they were still a group of individuals, not having acquired the status of a nation in its land. It is only as they are about to enter Eretz Israel that the nation assumes a collective identity, and at this point it is appropriate to introduce national mitzvot. However, there may be an additional reason for this phenomenon. Concerning one particular mitzvah in Sefer Dvarim, Chazal taught that the Torah so instructs only as a measure against the Yetzer Hara. This is the mitzvah of the Ifat Tar, the beautiful Gentile woman captured on the battlefield, whom, if the Holy One blessed be he had not permitted to the Israelite man, then he would have married her even illegally. This concept of concession to the Yetzer Hara can be extended to many other communal mitzvot, such as that of warfare, and perhaps even the mitzvah of appointing a king. This idea is based on the words of Rabbi Nehorai in Sanhedrin. This parasha was only given in response to their grievances. Grievances can be regarded as being in the same category as the Yetzer Hara. Mitzvot which are given as measures against the Yetzer Hara are a type of bidiyavad, after the fact, less than ideal mitzvah, as it were, which arise from a penetrating view of the world with all its weaknesses and crises, these are mitzvot which attempt to correct even the Yetzer Hara itself, gradually, and to create order and procedure even amidst chaos and crisis. Perhaps the entire institution of social control may be viewed as a means to rectify a missed opportunity of the individual. By extension, the same purpose can certainly be attributed to such personal mitzvot as divorce and conspiring witnesses. The theme of the second chance is also emphasized in Moshe's speeches of rebuke. Even if the nation has sinned, the possibility of correction still exists. For this purpose, Moshe goes so far as to put his fate at stake as against that of the nation. 
At the opening of Parashat Bayat Hanan, Moshe recounts his attempts to change God's decree against him by prayer and supplication. But he was halted from on high. You have spoken too much. Do not speak to me any longer on this matter. Immediately thereafter we read, And we stayed in the valley facing Beit Peor. And now, Israel, hear the statutes. At first we don't detect any textual difficulty or hint there. But Rashi explains, You were in close proximity to idolatry. Baal Peor. But nevertheless, now Israel hear the statutes. In other words, all was forgiven you, but I did not merit that my sin be forgiven. Is this not the power of the community, that the heavenly doors are never closed before it? We read in the Rambam's Laws of Tshuva, But as part of a community, so long as they engage in Tshuva and cry out with a sincere heart, they are answered, as it is written, as the Lord our God, whenever we call unto Him. But we shall see that this power is revealed with much greater clarity at the conclusion of the Sefer, in the description of the greatness of Moshe. And no other prophet arose in Israel like Moshe, for all the signs and wonders which God sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, and for the strong arm and all the great terror which Moshe performed before the eyes of all of Israel. What was it that Moshe did before the eyes of all of Israel? Rashi explains, Before all of Israel that his heart led him to shatter the tablets before their eyes, as it is written, And I shattered them before their eyes, and God approved of his action, as it is written, Which you broke, you did well in breaking them. Hence, we may perhaps say that it was this great deed which created the possibility of a continuation, the possibility of correction within the camp, the possibility of prayer and the sculpting of new tablets upon which the Ten Commandments would once again be written, The shattering of the first tablets as a result of the Golden Calf episode teaches us about the possibility of building anew on the ruins of the old. Proof of this is to be found in the fact that the repetition of the Ten Commandments in Parashat Vayet Hanan in our Sefer are, with some adjustments, the commandments which were written on the second tablets. This is the very definition of Mishneh Torah, the Torah repeated a second time amidst conflict and following conflict with the Yetzirah.